I'm gonna go. Well, good to see you again. Good to see your face again. Yeah. Go out with you. I'm gonna be around and back in town in a few days. Oh. But yes. if you come to Hawaii. I don't know. You don't think we'll see you about that. I don't okay, know. Well, I'll, I'll call you when I get back. Okay. Have a good trip. And bye bye. And bye bye. And bye bye. Fucking. And bye bye, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> in theory my name is webb and this is my co-host mike and our second film in our trilogy this month is paul thomas anderson's punch drunk love it's a film that's so beloved it has a real following that i kind of didn't expect it's now so much in the criterion collection uh there it is Web besmirching the Criterion Collection again. I know I you knew it was coming. You keep picking these films. <laughs> like we can't talk about four hundred blows, but you know, uh, we we have to talk about the films that Criterion chooses to make sure they stay afloat. It's like we got to sell some discs because this Kenji Mizuguchi film ain't selling shit. So <laughs> now we have to uh, make some money, and I think Punch Drunk Love is one of those films. I think it's fine. Uh, however, because we live in a world where there will be blood, the master, and Phantom Thread, and Inherent Vice exist, <sighs> boy, I, I don't feel like Punch Drunk Love lives up to uh, the more recent Paul Thomas Anderson films. And it might also be because I think that Adam Sandler is a giant con artist, so any time that you have people giving him a whole bunch of acclaim... I'm always very skeptical. What are your thoughts on Punch Drunk Love now that I've taken it down a peg? It's definitely better than There Will Be Blood, for sure. It is absolutely better than that one. Wow. Uh, I, I'm i not as high on There Will Be Blood as most. I, I feel like, and I really liked it. So when I say I'm not as high on it, it means I don't want to give my firstborn child to Daniel Day-Lewis or Paul Thomas Anderson, which was the reaction I sort of got that, that particular year, because it's it's spoken of uh, with reverence right up with like No Country. Like those were like the two films of 2007. Uh, Meanwhile, like talked about. people are disrespecting Zodiac because it just yes, came exactly. and went. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. N- but that being said, I don't think I had rewatched Punch Drunk Love since sometime it's released. I know I rewatched it, but I'm pretty sure I watched it in theaters. And watched it on DVD shortly thereafter. I don't know if I even have the Criterion. I kind of hope that I do so I can keep that streak alive of like, yeah, I watched my iTunes copy. <laughs> I can. <laughs> so I enjoyed it, but 
like you're sort of setting up uh, in the back of my mind, I always had it as like, Oh, it's like the lesser Paul Thomas Anderson. It's the, uh, the reset after Boogie Nights and Magnolia, these two like epics, because from what I remember, Magnolia was supposed to be a very small film because he was exhausted from Boogie Nights. And then he just, he just kept writing. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I think he said that he like stayed at William H. Macy's cabin somewhere. And that's probably why that script and that film ended up being so long because he had nothing else to do. So he just kept writing pages and new characters. And he's like, Oh, I love Julian Moore. Let's give her a whole bit and uh, on and on. However, he, him and Quentin Tarantino very much disagree with you on Adam Sandler. Like this was like the guy of the two thousands because Sandler was supposed to play the bear Jew in glorious bastards and went to Eli Roth. Uh, he did funny people instead mistake. Although Eli Roth was really good. And in, in that film, I, I mean, all he has to do is <laughs> look unhinged and physically imposing. Um, and he was, he was great there. I, I'm like you, I've never been the biggest Sandler guy. Like, I, I feel like there are a lot of very smart, talented filmmakers telling me that there's so much untapped potential in this guy. And I'm thinking, all right, if you say so, let's see it. And punch drunk glove probably doesn't make the best case for Sandler as far as exposing you something new. He just takes the Sandler persona and plays it straight. He yes. plays it as if this was a real person, which gives it a, a different vibe. You know, when he has his temper tantrums and happy Gilmore, we all kind of laugh at the idea, but there's nothing dangerous about him. In fact, he gets beaten up by a senior citizen in, in that film. Whereas, you know, if Barry Egan and punch drunk love, meets Bob Barker, he probably like fucking kills him like yeah. or yeah. something. So that's certainly different, but is, is Sandler doing anything different? I don't know. I, I think it's just the way it's, it's cut and the, the way the story sort of framed. Um, so it's almost more of like a pat on the back from Paul Thomas Anderson to himself of like, see, you give me Sandler and I can make, <laughs> I can make a criterion collection film. <laughs> Anyone else, Happy Madison Productions, they're foolish. They're idiots. That being said, Webb, this time around, I did feel like, whoa, I've been sitting on this one. Like, I I forgot how funny it was. I remember the romance being strangely sweet, I guess, in a dark sort of way, because I, I had it stuck in my head, the pillow talk, where they talk about smashing each other's face and, like, ripping the flesh off each other. Because uh, I'm pretty sure I saw this on a date, and I was like, yeah, this I'm not getting laid tonight. This is <laughs> <laughs> this was not the movie to see. Isn't there something that Matthew McConaughey we could have seen instead? Something, something a little more pleasant. But the self-loathing here... I mean, there were multiple times in this movie I stopped because I was laughing so hard at Sandler the Dork. And I'm surprised that you did not feel the same way because you love Paul Giamatti. And this is <laughs> this is a Paul Giamatti character if he was scary Whoa. and physically <laughs> 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 The first note that I have in my <laughs> Apple notes here is, is this movie funny? <laughs> is, when he says bye-bye at the end of their date and then walks in the hallway calling himself a stupid motherfucker and repeating the, the sort of intonation of bye-bye and the, I guess the different levels. I was, I was howling with laughter at, at this guy because on the one hand, we've all probably had that experience where we want to impress someone or we just want to come off looking cool or sexy or whatever. And we say something innocuous and then we kill ourselves for it. 
But this character, I'm thinking, is he really going to kill himself over saying bye bye? <laughs> it just it still tickles me. I'm surprised that you didn't, as a huge sideways guy, you didn't get into this. Is it a little bit more hyperactive than sideways? Sure, but it's a it's another loser character that just won't let himself off off the hook. And I, honestly, Sandal's not doing anything that is very new in that moment either, because, like, right back to Happy Gilmore, just tap a tap a tap it, you know. It's, he's kind of doing the same stuff. And so, yeah, I guess a lot of that stuff didn't really resonate with me. And I grew up as a Sandler fan with uh, Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy. Uh, everything else around those films I was kind of, like, in and out of, uh, because... It got to the point where I was like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. Product placement, hiring his friends. This isn't a movie. This is really more of just, like, let's just get paid. Uh, I have a great amount of respect for Sandler because he's somebody who went into Saturday Night Live, told he wasn't funny, and essentially fired. And he was like, all right, fuck you, watch this. And he built an empire for himself. So I, I have the utmost amount of respect, and I loved uncut gems because i was like finally this is the movie that tapped into how much i trash i know i'm aware <laughs> i'm well aware of your history of this film. but uncut gems is a film that kept me on edge you know i think everybody talks about it like oh my god you need a fucking uh, xanax if you want to watch this film because i i was right there with that same opinion i was on edge the entire film it was an experience i've never had and so the safety brothers really and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of safety brothers but they made me feel something i've never felt in film before and they tapped into how much i dislike adam sandler and put him on screen and so i i thought it was really really well done yeah this time around i wasn't laughing very much except when one actor was on screen and i'm sure you can guess which one and, mm -hmm. and it's because maybe it's because we don't get to <laughs> maybe because we don't get to see him anymore, and and he, like I, I feel like he's been he, he was stolen from us too soon. Uh, mm -hmm. Anytime Hoffman is on screen, it is fantastic. When he when he's telling the phone to shut up, or at the end where like, well, that's that. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> good. And even in that moment, uh, Sandler's pretty good because I fall right into his charms from his Happy Madison days. Where he's like, what did I just tell? You know, I I enjoy all of that. And so there is a lot of stuff that I do like in this film. I don't think it's overly funny. And I do wonder if it's because I'm watching it at a very different time. The last time I saw this film, I was quite lonely, frustrated with certain aspects of my life. And... I really related to the Sandler character. And they do play around with the fact that, well, is he autistic? We're not sure. Uh, they never state it because I feel like if you if you state that a character has this specific condition or whatever have you, if you state that, then you are obligated to <sighs> film it and write it in a certain way that doesn't offend, that doesn't, that is uh, incredibly accurate to it. And so they kind of get away with the way Sheldon, uh, in the Big Bang Theory is written. Like, they don't say that he's autistic or he's suffering from anything, but... Because uh, <laughs> they want you to laugh at him. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're yeah. saying. They want the freedom yeah. to laugh at the exploits of this character. I think, that, yeah, there certainly is something like that going on with the Barry Egan character. He has this horrific group of sisters that just, like, undercut him. Like, for anything. Uh, you know, he's he's berated to come to this party 
he's berated to see this woman played by Emily Watson, a friend of one of his sisters. Uh, and then berated if he like then wants her phone number to call her as like some sort of creep. Uh, he just is placed in an impossible situation, which for some reason he can't win, which leads to the other moment. I was, you know, doing Paul Thomas Anderson, the great service, watching this in pieces on my iPad at, at work <laughs> on and off. And I had to stop on at the break room cause I just could not stop going back like 15 seconds back, 15 seconds back when he's in Hawaii, he's made this, uh, this leap, this grand gesture to, to follow this woman that he <laughs> went on a date with that ended it with the bye-bye, which thankfully he got a kiss. First date, he beats up the uh, bathroom, I guess. It's a, it's a weird phrasing, but he goes in and just, it's not any one particular thing in the bathroom. He just demolishes it uh, because he's embarrassed. So to see that guy make that jump from, he's so easily embarrassed by, oh yeah, your sister said this about you, to putting himself out there to go Hawaii. It's a big, it's a big ask. That would be a very special episode of Big Bang Theory if Sheldon, you know, the, the Hawaii episode or whatever. But when he calls his sister and wants to know which hotel she's staying at or if she knows, and she starts antagonizing him again, <laughs> and he ends the conversation with like, why are you doing this to me? I'll fucking kill you. Like, is that what you <laughs> <Yes>. want? <laughs> yes, that was, yeah. How can you not love this character, Webb? <laughs> PT is great at creating those moments. I did notice that sprinkled throughout the film. I was like, okay, that was really good. Okay, this was really good. Yeah, running back for the kiss, just wonderful. That was a great sequence. It's only like 90 minutes. This is like, yeah, this is as much PTA as you'll get in this like small package. Like, and I, I don't know if he's, he'll ever be allowed to go back to it because Inherent Vice was kind of his fuck off movie but even that has like this sort of grand scope to it and it's i mean it's his version of like doing like a big lebowski but the cast of characters and the, it's so convoluted uh this one is strange but it's sparse i mean the, the the goal with this like coupon clipping thing where he can get so many free free miles and all of that like it's weird and offbeat but there's there's nothing else to it. And yes, he's lonely. He calls a phone sex line and they start harassing him. Like basically to me, it I don't know. I think it works better as an old man web. I think after you've had after you've had decades of bullshit, like when you're a kid and you're like, Well, that sounds weird. But when you've had things like this that you just can't escape, people that you just have to deal with on a daily daily basis just to continue your, your sad existence of like please just leave me alone i feel like we all pine to just go home just go home so i can just be myself i really adored this movie as as an, a man facing 40 because i wish you know i said on a previous episode that i'm fairly combative in my, my professional and personal <laughs> life i'm nowhere near this character and maybe it's because i i have like the release valve where i i cut the shit early and he's had like you know decades being picked on there was still something there was i I was enthralled when he's telling a family member that he'll fucking kill them and then it's placing the blame on them like (laughs) why are you forcing me to do this and those aspects of the film resonate with me more now as an older person one who is married and so the romance stuff doesn't do it for me and i remember uh, as a much younger person a younger film fan somebody who i don't know if i ever fell in love but the the one feeling that i took away from punch drunk love upon first viewing was like 
this is what it's like to fall in love. Like, PTA captured it. Now, I don't mm. necessarily feel that way. But <laughs> it's like hyper-specific love, for sure. Uh, yes. But the coupon clipping subplot is, like, the best thing in the movie. Like, I enjoyed that uh, to the nth degree. So much so that I am certain that... I don't know if I mentioned... I, I must have mentioned this to you, but I ripped off borders in the most like unethical way borders bookstore back when there was a borders bookstore there isn't now because i fucked them over too many times Mm -hmm. put them out of business (laughs) i did because i just took advantage of their loopholes and so it's like i know how he's feeling when he buys up all that pudding like i totally get it so the the idiosyncrasies that are scattered throughout the film that's the stuff I really gravitated towards this time around. Barry going complete, full-on John Wick on uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's like henchmen and stuff. Really enjoyed that. To the point, you know, there are points in this film that are very dreamlike and almost nightmarish. And I do wonder, even though I'd seen this film before, this to watch, I was like, is this a dream? Is this one of those where he's imagining he's doing these things and then it cuts right back to before the incident? Like uh, several modern films uh, uh, kind of use that uh, filmmaking technique. But it isn't. Everything is very real. Right off the bat when he's smashing those windows in the beginning, I was like, okay, so that's what he wants to do. And then cut to, I'm sorry I did that. It's like, what? <laughs> so there, there is a this, – this film is a mixed bag for me. But the stuff that I like, I really do like. And the stuff that I don't, I don't dislike. But it just doesn't resonate with me. That's all. There's an element that I, I always uh, want from like a home invasion movie that this, this film has. Where how do, like The Strangers, for instance. Like the, the, weird, the weird fucked up mask. And I guess it's unfair because <clears throat> we did get that in like Your Next. Um, which I don't know if you've seen uh, either of these. But. Where I always wonder, how do the people who pick a house to terrorize or a complete stranger, and we're just going to torture them, kill them, whatever, how the fuck do you know that you can just walk in there and you're not going to just meet someone that is totally off the wall, unhinged? And what's great about Punch Drunk Love for me is it's not it's not just an excuse for... Uh, that wish fulfillment violence because Adam Sandler's Barry Egan is not necessarily someone that you would want to aspire to be. Like when you mentioned John Wick, I guess other than his wife dying tragically and then they come and kill his dog, everything else about him is fucking cool. Long hair, the guns, he's rich, he's retired, he travels the world, whatever. And when he walks in a room, people are instantly terrified, pissing themselves because John Wick walked in. It's all great if you're a, a dude and into that. Like, you know, hyper-aggressive kind of lifestyle in movies. This one, though, there's just enough degree of patheticness to him that when he does break bad, when he has pushed too far, like, you know, the first time with these, the goon squad from Provo, Utah, like, shows up, you know, he's telling them, look, that's, I, I got $500 out of the ATM, that's my daily limit. And also just want to let you know that that's actually quite a bit of money to me. Like I'm not a wealthy man. There's, there's nothing badass about him. Like when this happens to John wick, you're like, okay, yeah, they got the upper hand on him this time, but if they leave him alive they're they're done. Whereas he's basically tell them, look, you're really like shaping my life right now by taking $500 off of me. Like this is going to make it hard for me to, <laughs> to live. And of course they're dismissive of him. 
and they come back and terrorize him again. But this time, what's what his line? He's got the love like of a, a great woman in his life, which makes him like stronger, more strong yeah, than you could possibly yeah. imagine. When that happens, I think as a film, you don't want anything bad to happen to these characters. But there's still enough separation from the violence where you can't be totally in Barry's shoes where you want to be him. Like, you're glad for him, but the violence here is scary because it is so quick. And I also, this is not the John Wick universe. I don't know if Barry's going to fucking kill these people. I don't know if he's just going to, like, bash their heads in and suddenly it becomes a totally different story where it's like, well, he almost had love. Now he's going to prison because he killed <laughs> four punks from Utah. Uh, I really I really like that, that aspect of the film. Where it leaves you uh, a bit unsure of your footing with him where it's like, yeah, I hope things work out, but I don't want to hang out with Barry. There's nothing where it's like, Oh, I wish I was part of his world. Um, which is probably why it's not the most populous movie and was a terrible date night movie for me and another teenage girl to go see. But it's, I'm, I'm surprised. I actually thought this was going to break our streak of criterion selections. I just felt like Barry Egan was a character that Webb, Webb would get and Webb would cherish, and instead you're just a you're just a bully from Utah. That's what you are, <laughs> Webb. There are aspects of it that I I do uh, I do get. The, you know what's funny? Uh, I just pulled uh, the cinema score, uh, the where the audiences get pulled uh, rating from A plus to F. It got a D plus rating, which is very accurate because a, a cinema score is used to determine box office potential. And uh, D-plus is about right. I don't even think it recouped its money. And uh, I, I would imagine most of it went to Adam Sandler. You know what's weird? is on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 79% from critics and 77% from audience. That's yeah. shocking to me. I, yep. I thought that would be there would be a wider gap between those two. Me too. I agree. Well, I apologize, Webb. I made you watch a what? Paul Thomas no, Anderson movie no. with... <laughs> Adam oh, Sandler, that, that you opened the conversation like, I was a fan of his during the Billy Madison days, but what is this? What is this high art he's attempting to do? Bullshit. Keep in <laughs> Get mind. Get out your golf I... ball. Piss on a wall <laughs> with a kid and go to McDonald's. That's all you're good for. I still, even even the Happy Madison stuff, it's like selective, and it's when I was younger. Even there's a point when I watched Little Nicky, and I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was about to make that joke that I was like, what's next? You're going to say that you enjoyed little Nikki, but not this. <laughs> uh, because yeah, and sometimes product placement just works because I was, I love Popeye's and I was like, Oh, he loves Popeye's little Nikki for me was the jumping off point where I had, I wasn't the biggest Adam Sandler guy. I liked happy Gilmore quite a bit. I remember watching that a few times on video, maybe Billy Madison once or twice. I was not into Big Daddy. I thought Big Daddy was... Uh, oh, that was sweet. I thought we were... Uh, th that was the mainstreaming of Adam Sandler to a point, like announcing him to wider audiences that, look, he's he's helping raise this kid as opposed to uh, that guy should be nowhere near like <laughs> an eight-year-old. But Little Nicky was the one... I remember in theaters telling... I think I was with my brother or some other friends. I'm like... I'm not going to see any more Adam Sandler movies in theaters. Like, what the fuck am I doing? And I, I was a teenager. I was still in high school. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm yeah. not doing this anymore. Little Nicky I, was certainly the jump off point. Little Nicky, I ordered on uh, pay-per-view. That's how I first watched it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but Big Daddy, you get to see like a, a sexy Leslie Mann. 
And you get just a rare John Stewart film role, and and I I kind of enjoyed that. I watched it I think last year, and and it was those little things made me uh, really appreciate it. For I like Joey Lauren Adams as a love interest. I, She's I like, great. I've always liked her. Um, wish she had had a bigger career post chasing Amy. Little Nicky, while I have it, here's what I'm talking about. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, twenty two percent from the critics, fifty five percent from the audience. That's the that's the range I'm expecting. People didn't like the, it's the deep south. They didn't like that joke over and over and over, I guess. pervert and not pay for it don't you say that to me you call the phone sucker. shut up i didn't do anything i'm a nice man i mind my own business so you tell me that's that before i beat the hell from you i have so much strength in me you have no idea love in my life it makes me stronger than anything you can imagine I would say that's that mattress man you came all the way from LA to tell me this yes I did No. That's that. I I think if you like it, you should get it. Now get 